welcome to another episode of the Ball Behind and Beyond. I'm your host, Bill Dick Jones. Today, we have guests on the panel, formerly incarcerated men and women, who have faced some challenges after being released from prison, but have each found a way to successfully transition back to society. We wanted to speak with them to see how they were able to reacclimate and find their way for so long. Please welcome the panel. Thank you all for coming. And can you each introduce yourself to our listeners? All right, Yolanda, would you like to go first? Hi, um, my name is Yolanda Vick. Um, I was incarcerated in Carswell for 10 plus. I've been out since 2006. All right, welcome. Um, Curtis, would you like to go? Sure. Uh, Curtis Robinson uh, from Spokane, Washington. Uh, identify as BIPOC. Uh, you see him pronounce service executive director for I Did the Time and Revive Center for Returning Citizens over here. I did my time uh, 84 through 87 uh, out of Orange County for a strong arm robbery while I was crack cocaine addicted and bullet shot wounded. And uh, I haven't been back since. Welcome. Uh, welcome. My name is Antoine Quals, Baltimore, Maryland. Uh, spent over um, 22 years, six months, and 13 days. I've been home since 2013. And the process started an organization called Hope Baltimore, which stands for Helping Oppressed People Excel, which is a support initiative to educate and empower people about the barriers that stigmatize and oppress communities beyond their structure of redlining and being able to transition back safely to the community. Welcome. Thank you, Antoine, for being on the panel. Well, I appreciate everybody for coming. This is always unique because when you have a panel, you know, it's a discussion. It's not really an interview. I got questions for everyone. I think this topic right here is very pertinent um, and timely because, you know, many people are returning to society and a lot of times they don't know what they can do um, to properly navigate a smooth and successful transition. So we wanted to let the listeners know, especially those who may be having problems in this area. As a formerly incarcerated individual, what has been you guys' greatest challenge upon release? Um, and anybody can take that question and either, either everyone can answer or whoever feels as though they want to answer. So whoever wants to start can go. Yeah, I'll tell you this, Curtis. Uh, yeah, my, my biggest thing was like dealing with the, you know, the, the internalized uh stigma right and you know it's just the stigma period right it was it, it was not only the stuff that i thought about myself and what i'd done but also what other people thought about the stuff that i'd done and then how uh i continually no matter what situation i would go into i would encounter that whether they were acting like some way about it or not I carried so much of it with me that I, I, I was, I was acting like that for them. I was projecting that on them, right? So we know all the barriers and stuff like that. And there's a lot of barriers, but the biggest ones was that piece, right? And getting to a point to where it's like, you know, I don't care what you think of me. Here's what I've done. Here's who I am. Here's where I'm going, right? And to really stand firm in that. But it took a long time. And a lot of intervention and a lot of help from a lot of people to even get to the point where I could start doing that, let alone get to any kind of real place with that so that I could navigate all the societal stuff and all the barriers and all of the stigmas and all the judgments that were already, uh, you know, uh, had all kinds of historical momentum 
uh, coming up against uh, people like us. That's powerful, Curtis. Um, and I think that um, that's something that we all probably had to face. Uh, anyone else? Hi, this is Yolanda. My biggest obstacle was, since I was in federal uh, prison, they sent me to a federal halfway house. Well, you throw me out. I've been locked up for 10 years. You put me out with some bus tokens and a bus pass and tell me to find a job. Now, how am I supposed to do that when I had no resources or no inkling of what to do to put myself in a place to where I could go and get a job? So I think that um, that was my biggest problem was actually trying to go out and go back into society and you just throw me out there to the wolves and let me defend for myself. I hear you, Yolanda, and I always, I've never been home. I got 31 in straight. I've never been home. And I always used to wonder, what is the purpose of the halfway house? Um, or if you're not employable while you're in the halfway house. I don't know if the federal or the state is different. Um, I'm going to soon find out, God willing. But I would like to know, do they help you with the resources to find a job while you're in the halfway house? Not really. Halfway house? Um, the, the federal halfway house, uh, they, like I said, they gave me some bus tokens and some bus passes. They told me to go find me a job. And my... My family, they work during the day. So it was not like for me to tell, oh, well, can you take me here? Oh, can you? So I had to basically fend for myself. Like you said, what, what's, the, what's the process for this halfway house? Because they didn't really do anything for me but take my money. That was it. Uh, Antoine, you, uh, you want to take that? Yeah, uh, I agree with every last one of the uh, speakers, right? Because... Um, Everybody, like everybody said, it's a different level. And also, like, mine was a struggle repeatedly because the individuals that I was around while incarceration, we continued the same thing that I went to prison for and while in prison. So when I was coming out, that that's where my mind was, my mindset was already there. Dealing with the network of people that I had came in contact with by fighting my case basically helped me transition and set myself up and start my process from in the inside. As you talk about the stigmas, the redlining, the barriers, and if family members have a lot of scars and issues, the re-traumatizing bonding that you're coming back into. So, like, it plays a lot of measure effects of broken spider webs and then set traps with venom that make one continue to keep going in or bite one and come paralyzed and then stuck on the red line and discriminative systems to just give up on their own self-worth. As the brother was saying, worrying about other people's concepts of how he see themselves or I seen myself. So I had to learn how to reevaluate that and just focus on everything that I was doing was for the benefit of me even with the concept of being gone for 20-something years out of my daughter's life. And that was one of the greatest like, trials and errors that I had to come over was replacing myself back in my daughter's life at the 22 years, not as a father figure, but like as an individual and had to grow into understanding how to be a parent. I feel you, I feel you man. I was going to say real quick before we go to the next question because I got a daughter. She was four months old. 
Um, she's 32 um, in, a, in a couple of days, actually. And she actually told me that, what you said. You can't just come and start trying to parent her. You know what I'm saying? You got to be her. You got to get to know her. She got to get to know you. She got to she got to see you as another individual first before a parent. And so that's another question. But that's a deep question when you talk about challenges upon release. The next question I have for y'all is, what did you do while in, inside to prepare you for the outside? Um, I'll tell you. Uh, I'll go. Um, in basically, I, I had got a legal 30 years sentence. With 15 of it, I wasn't supposed to have. I got an over sentence and, and um, basically going in, that was the first time I had went back inside the institution and wasn't addicted to drugs or wasn't using. So my mindset was different. And from that day, you know, I did everything properly to try to fight to get back in court every day for the next uh, seven years, right? And in the process... Still got caught up in stuff because of institutions that they kept me in and housing units that was high risk. And I kept saying, like, I still had to prove myself to hold a self-worth amongst that jungle when actually, like, I could have sabotaged everything. But from that point of, like, building relationships and networking with the people who helped me fight my case and then started studying things and then telling them about ideas of ventures that I wanted to do that could actually educate and help those that was coming out behind me because for so long when I was coming home, those things wasn't there. And then in the process, when I got here, I seen like the setup where when I was trying to do these things, people that was like in place and position to have the resources that help me they really didn't want to help me. So, like, I had to find a secretive network and volunteer to get my name around it and my face known, but then get back to the concrete to also get people to understand this is the change that we got to make amongst the damage that we already created in communities. And basically, like, every day, like, people try to tell me, like, in different cities when we go in, you know, um, they try to put me in office buildings. And I try to go straight to high-risk communities where all the drama is at so I can actually see how I can help and assist with the problem. And the same problem has been everywhere, whether it's parole and probation offices, whether it's uh, low-income housing, whether it's high-risk areas, there's narcotic and uh, addiction to overdose uh segregated, you know what I'm saying? So, like, these resources, we started bringing to communities right to the foothold of the people so they can get them right there in their community. I wanted to, before I go to the next person, I wanted to pivot off of that because I was in the same system you in, and I understand that... We have 60 seconds remaining. It's really hard to prepare for what you're going to do on the outside. Because the annex was like JCI, you know what I'm saying, the North Branch, you already know... These environments are so hostile that it's difficult um, for you to focus on and concentrate on the things that you need to prepare yourself um, for you to get out because you're constantly um, in the midst of it. Uh, but you can, and um, I'm glad that you shared that so that people can hear. You have 30 seconds remaining. Even in the midst of chaos, you know, sometimes you can still find peace and you can do what you got to do to uh, navigate your way out the system. Uh, I'll be right back. Um, to pick up on the, on the other side. What did you do while inside to prepare yourself for the outside? Hey, everybody. Um, I just wanted to say, go to my website, Grant Parole to Philip, 
G-R-A-N-T-P-A-R-O-L-E-T-O-P-H-I-L-L-I-P.com. And scroll down, you'll see a link to donate for my legal fees as I'm in need of a criminal attorney. Um, I also have another link to donate to my GoFundMe for mental health expenses. Thank everybody for your support and thank everybody for the love they've been showing me. I appreciate it. And um, God willing, you know, it'll make a difference and I'll be home soon. Okay, Curtis. Yeah, Philip, I was just going to say that, you know, for me, myself, you know, I was I was kind of like in the in the uh, thing with Yolanda when she was talking about earlier, you know, about how she was just like released with, you know, hey, here's a couple of tokens in the middle of the night, in the middle of nowhere. Right. That's how I came out. And uh, and I didn't I didn't have uh, encouragement to really kind of um, uh, prepare for getting out. So I ended up cycling back in and, and it finally occurred to me that, you know, and, and I and I. I did a lot of work with uh, uh, a CCO that probably tanked his job to help me. Uh, but uh, he, uh, he got me into a treatment program because I knew that if I kept going out in the cycle that I was in, I was going to die because I was going to I was going to create a situation. And I knew it. I, I felt it in my heart. And I was kind of in agreement with it. I'm going to set myself up to get taken out or I'm going to take somebody out and they're going to take me out or, you know, it's going to be, you know, death by law enforcement. And, uh, you know, so. Um, I, the thing that was the fix for me in that was making sure that I came to terms with that piece and knew that I couldn't get out the same way I had been getting out. That kept me going back in and back in and back in for over, you know, for over three years. So um, I went straight into a long-term treatment program and they had me locked down for another year uh, and helped me st start digging in and, and dealing with the stuff and coming to terms with the fact of, you know, I was a traumatized individual uh, uh, I was racialized and brutalized in, in incarceration and, um, you know, that I, I was, I was that way before I even got there, you know, to, to, a, to a great degree. So, um, and then I started, you know, kind of making sure that I had some positive pro-social wraparound supports with me from that point on. And that's how I've been able to pretty much stay out of it since then. Okay. Yes. Um, well, with the feds, it's a total, it's just totally different. They have a bunch of apprenticeships that you can go through to, um, to get what you need to get out. Well, I took an apprenticeship. I did dental assisting. That's what I used when I got out. If you come in out of the feds, I know in Carswell, um, they have oh, about 20 different apprenticeships. If you, you have to utilize your, your time and that's something that I did do because that's all I had was time. I got certified in a lot of different things. And I think that kind of helped me because I had a mindset that I needed something to take me on the other side of the fence. So that's what I did because I left four daughters. And when I left, my baby girl was three. Um, so... I needed something to take me to the, to the other side, to the free world. So I did take an apprenticeship and I did um, do dental assisting and um, very successful in it. So. Thank you. I uh, appreciate that. I uh, love everything what you guys are saying. Um, that takes me into the next question of, uh, did you guys have support from family and or your community uh, while you were in, or were you just, uh, 
get through it on your own. Shalanda, I'll take that one. <laughs> I had a good family support system. The church that I grew up in, um, they were a good um, support team for me also um, coming out. And I really, anybody coming out, they need a support team. They need somebody in their corner that's going to help them to make it into the free world, especially if you've done uh, some, some time and you're trying to get back in and you're trying to, you need that support system. And I thank God that, that um, my family was there for me coming out. That's what's up. If the other brothers that's on the panel want to take it again, if not, I'll go to uh, what kind of resources did you have that contributed to your successful transition? Yeah, so the only thing I'll, I'll do, do with that one, Philip, is just kind of pivot off that, right? So from what I've seen in the work that I've been doing uh, has been that that's what works for our people, right? Exactly what Yolanda just laid out. And the danger, right, if we don't do that, if we don't get that, you know, that, 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 that because that, that for me is what, is what pretty much had me cycling back in and out where I ended up, you know, doing over three years, you know, was going to end that situation. And eventually what happened, though, for me is that when I got into that treatment program and they saw that I was willing to do something, my family finally started participating and that made all the difference in the world. I agree with Yolanda and Curtis, you know, um, like for instance, like I always had like my neighborhood behind me and certain guys, but like certain friends of mine that like was working were the actually ones that I talked to and that were helping me with all my legal stuff. And like Yolanda said, like having a network around you that lives a lifestyle of wraparound services and connected to wraparound services directly is the key method because like you coming back out here with the ideal that you back home is the same individual that you gonna reconnect with that sent you away. And that was a repeated phase that I kept going through, whereas though I had to break away from Tweezy, Bam, Twan, you know, and learn who Antoine was and all that trial and error that was left behind from the age of nine and 10 and all the years of growing up as Bam, Tweezy, and Twan, you know, to like re-identify with that little kid that was shell-shocked and been locked away and had to learn and grow. So, like, a lot of times I stayed connected with those who had a different lifestyle that was totally different from what I came from. And it was a shell-shock because, like, they showed me so many things that took me out of 20-something, 30-something years of a full-block radius to going across the different cities, learning how to sit down and eat in restaurants, learn to sit and listen to book lectures and things of that nature. So like, it was a great experience. And then it just challenged me to the, the experiences that I use the energy to destroy myself in the streets and destroy communities, that I use that to rebuild myself and achieve every goal that I set out to desire for. I like that. You know, I was thinking about that while you were talking, man, because um, it took me down memory lane. I stayed in contact with a lot of the people from my community, but I wouldn't necessarily call them my support network 
Um, and my family didn't know how to support me because when I came in, I was on the mindset of buy me a package or, you know, send me some money on my books or come visit. But I never told them how they can help me further advance myself educationally or otherwise to get me back to society. And then the guys that I knew, they were still out in the streets. And so if I was planning on coming back and not going back to that lifestyle, then I knew that I would have to cut some of them off. Only one dude remained with me 31 years, and he's still here um, right now. He's out there, he's working, he's got a business, and he's always asking what I need. I do appreciate him, but uh, for the most part, uh, that support thing is important, but it definitely uh, the tip depends on who the support is. I want to ask the next question is, what kind of resources did you have that contributed to your successful transition? Because I know all of y'all are doing great things out there. Um, so, is there anything in particular that you guys can tell me or tell our listeners um, that helped you or contributed to your successful transition? Well, I'll start off on that one. So, I, I think we've all kind of named, you know, the things that, you know, that we've had to do to, to be successful in that, uh, you know, at, at, at different key points. But I, I can tell you the, 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 the biggest thing for me was, you know, besides the healthy people to connect with. <laughs> healthy people, you know, I ain't talking about my old people, I ain't talking about, you know, I'm talking about healthy, I'm not talking about my family, <laughs> not all my family, uh, but some of, you know, but um, healthy people to connect with, right, that would, that would you know, help me, uh, you know, really have that sense of belonging um, and importance and value and significance, right? And uh, then, um, you know, just straight up, just straight up, man. I was, I was a traumatized human being. So I needed lots and continue to do, you know, lots of, lots of therapy and healing. Right. Well, Curtis, you are, I mean, not to, I don't want to cut you off my bad off, but Curtis, you are that support that I'm talking about, man. Cause you come into these joints and you, uh, speak to us, man. And you tell us what's going on out there. And every time we got an event, Every time we putting on some type of town hall or some type of, you know, program of awareness, you're here. You know what I'm saying? So I just want you to know you're the type of support uh, that I'm talking about that we need uh, when we're still in uh, as well as when we're on our way out. Oh, so what kind of programs would y'all say are needed inside that would increase one's ability to both remain free and set your affairs in order once you get out, programming-wise? Because I know they got different programs in different states fed whatever, you know what I'm saying? So any programs that you guys uh, feel as though that are needed, that are not in here, or that you want to share about? Um, for me, in Baltimore, in, Maryland, in Baltimore, one of the things that I did first was, based off the experiences that I had, was that a lot of guys needed self-worth and understanding how to transition and recognizing the barriers that got them to the state or where they at. And like recognizing the trauma and the scars that was left in family relations that they created, but that they grew up with that became normal, but it's not normal or healthy and that they're going back to. Um, another thing is like identify faces that can Regulate, they walk those same patterns in those yards that they did that are doing well and can tell the testimonial stories of how they made it through. You know, financial literacy, I think, is a great one. Need to be there, understanding how to search and understand what career setting that you want 
you know, because a lot of people say like, hey, I don't care. I just want a job. But then 90 days later, you find out that they really don't want to work at that job. So they wind up quitting. And a lot of times we try to educate our clients on how that look for something that you know every day that you're going to wake up and be inspired to go there and do. When they ask you to do overtime, it's not that you're doing it for the money. It's because you have a passion to do the work and you like doing it. But in the process, that will transition to be the money and pay for your bills. So a lot of those programs that I think, like um, Mr. Donovan was talking about, we're in the phase. They got certain apprenticeships. And at one point in time in the state of Maryland, they had them. But they done taken a lot of those things out. So now people just sitting around and playing PlayStations and all that. So it's a mindset that they never get a chance to start that transition until actually they hit the street. And when they hit the street, it's too late. Man, that's, that's crazy you said that, man, because I remember Maryland had plenty of programs. And I remember that any day of the week, you could go down to the school floor or you can go into the uh, seat building and um, do whatever you wanted and learn something from some of the guys that been down. It was uh, all peer-led peer, peer uh, led groups. And so ain't no classes, ain't no programs. So that's why I was saying, if you guys got any ideas about that, because somebody listening might hear, and they might, um, you know, suggest that to the right people. So if uh, want, anybody else want to go with that, uh, feel free. I'm going to piggyback off of um, Anton. Because he had a good, he had a good statement on that one. My thing is, it's a mindset. If you're, if you keep your mind in the same place that it was when you first got locked up, like I did 10 years and I knew if I came out doing the exact same thing I did going in, I was just going to be a revolving door. So I had to get my mind right to be able to get out and transition to get a relationship with my kids. Some type of program that helps the individual get their mind right. Because without the right mind mindset, you're going to be right back in. Yeah, Nate, Philip, I'm going to come right after Yolanda. Yeah, and, and I disagree. Yeah, y'all haven't said nothing. I don't agree with you know. So that's that's what I'm that's what I'm doing right now. It's like I, you know, I, I'm firing off classes right now that I know our people need, right? Um, and really, these should be done on the inside and so much more. So stuff like trauma informed, implicit bias, adverse childhood experiences survey, survey, motivational interviewing. You know the real history of race in this country. I can't tell you how many of our families coming out of the coming out of confinement and they don't know they don't know half as much as they think they do right about how this system even got here let alone you know college classes educate it needs you know so here's the thing right it's it's not like and y'all you and Antoine really hit on that here's how it used to be and here's how it was and now all of a sudden it's this way they don't want that we're in a situation right now where our people have to fight tooth and claw to get any bit of education in there and yet they're calling it rehabilitation. And I'm sorry, man. You know, I, that, that's a hot button topic for me, man, because I'm tired of them doing that to us. And I'm tired of them not being held accountable for what they're doing. You know, they're bringing us in, they're putting us in boxes, and then they're traumatizing us and then blaming us for being re-traumatized for the way that they treated us in there, let alone whatever we did to create the situation that got us in there in the first place. And so what really needs to happen is there really needs to be this con 
complete and total system change where what they're about is everything about helping people get to the root causes of their justice involvement, how to heal about how they got there and, and how to set them up for success on the way out. Period. I love that passion you got, Curtis. And I think what I'm hearing from each of you is that we need mental health. We need emotional. We have 60 seconds remaining. We need programs geared towards getting our emotional balance back and our spirituality. And that comes with understanding what we're dealing with. Like Curtis is saying is that it's deeper than that because they want you to live in a warehouse. They act like they have programs or offer you things, but in all actuality, we're sitting around playing tabletop games and cards. We haven't got our minds right, like she said. So I think that uh, that's, a, that's a good segue into the next uh, question. And I'm going to pick it up on the other side. Hey, everybody. Um, I just wanted to say, go to my website, Grant Parole to Philip, G-R-A-N-T-P-A-R-O-L-E-T-O-P-H-I-L-L-I-P.com. And scroll down, you'll see a link to donate for my legal fees as I'm in need of a criminal attorney. Uh, I also have another link to donate to my GoFundMe for mental health expenses. Thank everybody for your support and thank everybody for the love they've been showing me. I appreciate it. And um, God willing, you know, it'll make a difference and I'll be home soon. That's taking us into the next question because it's, it's really getting ready to get heated now. Um, is it the belief of any of you that the system is set up for you to fail? Or is it based on the determination of the individual to find and utilize the resources available? Uh, um, I say it's a little of both. They set you up to fail. But if you don't have that mindset, you will fail. And like I said, I can only speak on the feds because that's the only place I've been. Because they threw me in some classes. And I'm like, first off, I have no low self-esteem. So I don't even know why you even want me to have that class. They put me in anger management. First of all, I'm not angry. So that's not a class for me either. But you want to put me in all these classes that you think this is me. But the classes that I really, really need, you don't have. So now you want to drug us, have us on all types of psych meds and this, that, and the other to keep us calm. Okay, I'm not taking that because I'm, I don't do drugs. So I say that the system, they, you, yeah, it's, it's a two-way. But you have to have a mindset. And like I said, I thank God that my mind is strong because half of them classes they said they put me in, I taught them. Yolanda, I like that because... I think the classes in prison should be electives. I think we all know what we need to succeed, and it shouldn't be no cookie-cutter uh, program that they just tell everybody you got to take. Antoine, Curtis. Yeah I, uh, yeah, I agree with Yolanda. You know, um, for one, I don't think that the, the whole thing is a money marketing system, for one. And then it's a, a, a study on how to break cultures of like families and generational curses that like have still implemented tortures from the 1619 era. They just legally moderated and updated off of the like the things that we have taught them and shown them at our weakest points. But like as Lana said, if you strong will and strong minded, 
you can turn that around and use it for your benefit or your education and utilize that to start implementing how to redirect and gain force to overthrow their systems. And that's why a lot of times they move and put people in high risk situations and housing units where all drama and everybody is traumatically broken while you trying to survive and stay focused. But then you come to government at war because you become the, the oddball of the whole community that's dead. And inside that community, we know that either one has the power to change the community one by one, or the community will suffocate him or, or her, and then she becomes part of that elite cycle. They do so many things that's unconstitutional because like the whole parole condition, you know what I'm saying? Parole was a partner in the beginning. Um, one time you could hold people up to seven years, but then now they moved it where each year they earn 39000 a year and then they lock up over 2.3 million of us. You know what I'm saying? You got over 58% of mothers of this whole system of America that's incarcerated, that's caretakers and providers of, of households. This whole thing is the trigonomically like break us down and separate us but then separate us that we go to war and what we see today is the odds of what that system has done to us. To start redirecting the better rebuild ourselves and crush that system. Hey, Philip, you know I'm going to say something on this one, man. Oh. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just like 500% with Yolanda and Antoine, man. Ain't, you know, again, ain't nothing you ain't said that I don't agree with whole, wholeheartedly, even my dog. Here's the cognitive dissonance. And basically the BS about this whole thing is they say they do this, but what they really do is this, right? Ten times the violence in prison, ten times the trauma, ten times the PTSD. I'm sorry, it's not a rehabilitation system if you've got that kind of verified, evidence-based, proven beyond the point stuff going on in this system that says we're here to rehabilitate people. No, you're not. If you were, you wouldn't have 10 times the rate of, 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 of the, that stuff that people are dealing with outside of society. So, um, you know, and, and there are all those little pockets where, yeah, there's some stuff that they can kind of get done. You know, you can kind of get done and we can walk your way through, you know, and da, da, da. but it is absolutely designed to break your spirit and destroy our bodies. It came into being that way. It's still rocking and rolling hard that way right now. And, uh, you know, we, we, have, we have got a, a, a moral mission as an American society to come to the truth about why that system is there and operating the way that it is and do something meaningful, sustainable to stop that nonsense or at least stop the lie. Wow. That's powerful. All of y'all, what y'all said, man. And um, that just goes to show you that there's a lot of lacking going on in the system. And that's what we're trying to do is inside, outside. Uh, Consults Inc., uh, my nonprofit, is that we try to reimagine what prisons look like because we want time spent not to be time wasted. If anybody wants to learn about our mission, they can go to the website and find out more about that. But I'm saying I'm of the belief that both things can be true at the same time. Uh, what makes the difference is individual mindsets and whether or not you can succeed in spite of the obstacles that's in front of you.
So the question is, would you say it's a lack of knowledge or a lack of opportunity that prevents formerly incarcerated men and women from being successful upon release? All right, I've been going last. I've been going last. Oh, Antoine, you want to go? Yeah, I go. Um, I say it's both of them. You know what I'm saying? Because most people come out, they shell shot, and they don't know where to go to. You know? And then, like, that fear of going in when so many stories have been told that you ain't going to make it makes you just, like, not want to experience a thing. So, like, lacking the knowledge, but then, like, hindering yourself to find out where the opportunities really exist at and what the pathway look like. And like I say, it's like finding the right opportunity or the right path to lead you out is like a needle in a haystack in a in the Amazon jungle, you know, but some of us have an idea and clue to have people right there. Cause I honestly believe like, God sends people into your life to lead you away from a lot of things. It's a lot of times that we don't take notice of what we ask for and what we pray for. And then when we come, we don't know how to identify it when it comes because we're looking for the physicality and the economical thing. It takes the, 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 the perseverance to show our real dedication. Do we really want this opportunity? And just like we said, I'm willing to do everything. Just give me one shot. We tend to like listen to the homeboy like, yo, you doing this. And I had so many days that some of my homies was like, yo, you run around doing that advocate BS. Man, they ain't listening. They ain't going to work. And one guy was like, man, listen, what do you want to be? And I say, man, I just want to help a few guys be able to stabilize themselves, get housing. We change some policy and, and, and educate delegates on the policies and how they redline us and hinder. They're the ones that's hindering us. It ain't us. Give us a shot and we can do their job. We headed the table. So in Baltimore, we got a thing called Streets to the Seats, where is though we have changed policy legislation from being the voices of advocates and formerly impacted to now that we write legislation, teaching the community how to write legislation, how to deal with delegates. I think once we start empowering people with knowledge because they say knowledge is power, but the individual that's able to use the knowledge becomes the powerful one. That's right on point, man, what you're saying, because I remember when I first came in, an old head told me, he said, dissatisfaction is the prime motivator for change. And first, I didn't know what he was talking about. But then he explained it. He said, you got to become so disgruntled with your condition. You got to become so disgusted with the way you was living that before you can even think about trying to make a change, so dissatisfaction is a prime motivator for change. And that comes in with the knowledge and the uh, resources because you're going to go find them once you get dissatisfied. So before I go to the next question, did anybody else want to take that one on? The only thing I'm going to do is just piggyback with Anton on that. You know, when you, when you brought up that thing about what really resonated was when he's talking about when you do get that opportunity, right? Because that's that piece that I was talking about because that was the thing, right? When you get the opportunity, we're the, the lack of knowledge about who we really are and where we're really coming from and all the, all the stuff about it. We don't even see the opportunity when, it, when it's good. We're praying for it. We're crying for it. We're dying, dying to have it. But when it comes, we don't see it, 
right? So it's also the lack of it's also the lack of opportunity, and it's it's both. It's a lack of opportunity and the lack of knowledge. Because what they should be doing with us in there is helping us clear up our vision, so that when we get the opportunity, we can see it and move with it. Instead, they traumatize us in there, blinds us even more, shove us out, and then expect us to do miracles under all the restrictions that they put on us. Antoine and Curtis, they <laughs> I cannot deny anything that they said. Um, with me, like I said, um, with the feds, the halfway house is just a money-making scheme. You get up to six months um, in the halfway house. Um, if, you're, if your um, crime wasn't really serious, um, they would give you home confinement. Well, when you get home confinement, what they're doing is they are charging you for a bed. It might be five people paying for that one bed. Then you pay not, your, not the net of what you make, but the gross of what you, 25% of the gross that you're making. So they're, they're just making some serious money off of all people that's incarcerated, especially um, with the federal halfway house. And in Houston, it's only one. They're just squeezing people in. And for you to put these people in here and then not give us the resources or the knowledge to go out and to find a job with me. And if you don't find a job within 10 days, they say they're sending you back, which um, I figured out that was a lie because it took me three months to find a job. We need to on the outside. We need something to help because they're not getting it on the inside. They're not. Powerful. Thank you so much, uh, Yolanda, for your take on that and for opening up the eyes of the listeners so they can see uh, what's really going on in these systems, both federal and state. Uh, with that, you know, we got a brother who's been standing by listening in. He's a reentry specialist. You know, he's going to tie it all up and he can, be, he can speak on everything else that he heard also if he wants to. Uh, we got the brother Brock. So I'm going to go ahead and let him get in this discussion. I, I really appreciate this conversation that you guys had, Antoine and uh, Yolanda and Curtis, uh, because it informs my decision-making in constructing programs uh, to address the needs of the reentry. Uh, the program that I created here in Washington was called REP, the Washington Reentry and Entrepreneurship Program. But what I'm doing right now is revising REP, and I'm gonna, I want to keep the acronym and make it the world reentry uh, uh, program because I think we need a universal program that can touch the bases of every every state in the country. Uh, um, what REP endeavors to do is partner with correctional industries and the education department, as well as corporations like Amazon with criminal justice reform mission. What REP, the basic tenets of the REP program is cognitive change which includes uh, PTSD and trauma therapy and awareness, uh, money management, how to bank, how to deal with credit, uh, home ownership, uh, budgeting, because I, I think that all of this stuff begins while you're in. If we make an assessment from the moment that you step into prison, if you begin to work on your reentry at that point and access the programs that will assist you in the end, then I think you'll be prepared. You would participate in correctional industries or Unicor or apprenticeship program or education programs or both. Uh, 
once you've achieved the highest level in, in industry and education, you would transition into a minimum wage job while inside the prison. In companies like Amazon, etc., you build a relationship with the company, learn more skills, and raise your earning capacity. Once you release from prison, you would release into a transition corporation or work with uh, work with another company of your choice or or start a business. I think the only way that we're gonna we're going to change uh, parameters of, of how we deal with the criminal justice system is if we create the programs ourselves. We know more about running prisons than the administrators know. They may have gone to school, they may have gotten the degree, but they really don't know how to run prisons. And so in their own off-handed way, they rely on us to teach them and to inform them how to run a prison. And in the same way, we have to construct our re-entry programs to make somebody successful. I think it sets people up for a better opportunity to succeed. It's making a serious decision that I'm going to change my life. The criminal justice system isn't going to cooperate with us, so we have to create it ourselves. When slavery was abolished, the only place and it still legally exists in the Constitution, it's prison. Thank you, uh, Brock. That was powerful, man. Uh, I was sitting here listening, saying to myself, you know, that is what we need, man. We need to create our own, man, and it's always been that way. This is the last question. In closing, how do we get a hold of you? And what remarks would you like to leave the listeners with? I'm just Yolanda, okay? <laughs> I don't have a movement. I don't, but I am very passionate about this cause, but I can say that all my friends, um, I have, you know what? I'm not even going to call them friends, all my family, because the amount of time that we did together, we were family. We're all out. We don't get to see each other much because we're all in different um, states, different cities, but if anybody want to get in touch with me, um, you can, my, my email is yvic67 at gmail.com. Like I said, I, I don't have a cause. I don't have a platform, um, but I do have a passion for this because I have been locked up and I have seen um, what it has done to some of the women um, that were locked up with me. We salute you, sister. Thank you for that. And yeah, um, Yolanda, it's a program here in Maryland that deals with uh, women being released from parole called Prepare for Parole that builds women advocates. So um, I'm going to get Erica to connect us and I'll connect you with them. You know, um, but yeah, anybody who want to reach me, you can reach me at 443-449-4086 or at uh, hopeinbaltimore.org, no space. Um, it's testimonies, it's uh, live videos on there. It's a breakdown of all the focus, the mission, the data. It's a survey about barriers and impacting formerly incarcerated and impactful incarcerated communities. I'm also a part of a network of the Citizen Policing Project, which is dealing on understanding and holding accountability on a monitoring team about the consent decree and making sure that communities have an understanding of how police is supposed to like overlook and, and see our areas and not oversight and over arrest our areas. Powerful, my brother. And this is the host. I'm going to wrap this up. 
Uh, the discussion is ongoing. I appreciate all the panelists and all the guests who came. Um, if you want to get a hold of me, you can find me on grandparolephilip.com. And uh, again, man, uh, y'all y'all did us a great service tonight. And I appreciate y'all for staying up late, whoever's on the East Coast or Midwest. Um, and we look forward to getting in touch with y'all and create this uh, organization of every person being involved. Uh, we'll talk more about it. But stay in touch. Keep doing the work that y'all doing. And have a good night.